It's my simple prayer today that as we open up God's word for us in Luke chapter 22 that 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 as that God would help you to face and deal with the scars of the memory of the sins of your past. There there are things that we've done, there are things that you've done that we 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 confessed them before and they're forgiven but they keep coming back into our memory and it we live it again. And it's my prayer that God would grant you healing from the sins of your past in the wounds of Jesus. We find that in Luke chapter 22. These are the words and works of Jesus, so please stand as we listen to them. Luke chapter 22. And because these are the words of Jesus, when we're done, I'll say this is the gospel of our Lord and it's good news. So we say thanks be to God. From Luke chapter 22. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up And the man who is called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them, we've learned from another gospel, it's Peter, struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. But an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he wept, went outside and wept bitterly. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as we recall and meditate on your words, we pray that you would help us not to remember our sins, but to remember your mercy. Not to remember our failures, but to remember your success. Not, not to cling to our past, but to cling to the future you have promised to us and the present life you have given us to live. To that end, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, let it be pleasing in your sight, God. You are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, I, I think, and I don't think I'm wrong, that Peter has a bad rap in the church. 
And to some extent, it's rightly deserved. We, when we talk about Peter, we often don't have much good to say. Peter was the one who came out to Jesus walking in water because Jesus told him to come, but then he doubted Jesus. Peter was the one who made this grand confession of Jesus, you are the Christ, and then just a few minutes later, Jesus called him Satan and said, get behind me. Peter was the one who said, Jesus, I'll never deny you. I'll even die with you and for you. Who then denied him three times in the high priest's courtyard. In some senses, it's absolutely right and good that, we, that Peter has the rap because he deserved it. He did it. And on the other hand, we also have to take into account that Peter is part of God's redemptive story. God has this redemptive story that, that kind of hit, hits its peak at the cross, but, but from beginning to all eternity, God has a redemptive plan to carry out salvation for you and for me and the world, and Peter's part of that story. And he plays a big part in the story, not just here in the Gospel of Luke or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but also in the book of Acts. Peter's a part of the, the launch, if you will, of this brand new Christian church that Jesus gives birth to by his Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Peter's a big deal. What that means, though, is that if Peter's part of this story, the story that goes from creation to eternity, where God is working out redemption through his Son and through the people of God like us, it also means we're going to hear part of Peter's story. And that means we're going to hear stories and accounts of how, how in the middle of this grand story, Peter, in Peter's little chapter of the story, we're going to hear stories of Peter's failures and sins. And so we're going to tune in closely today to the, to the story of Peter's denial. And, and when you consider it today, I want to invite you to consider it from a different perspective. Not, not a, a, a different perspective. I'm not going to apologize for that. And this is the perspective. Normally, when we read, when we think about the story of Peter, we, we relive it and watch it and consider it in real time. Like, we ask ourselves, what would I do? What should I do? How, how have I been like Peter? Right? How have I denied Jesus? And we think about, and that's a valid and important and vital way for us to study this account. But today, I want to read it and think about it from a different perspective. And this is the perspective and you can, this is your first fill-in, what did it feel like for Peter to relive and retell and recall and remember what he did? What was it like for Peter years later to sit down with Matthew and say, because there is no other way that this story gets told, it's told except if Peter tells it. What was it like for G Peter to sit down with Matthew and tell him what happened? What was it like for him to sit down with his, his own disciple, John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, and say, John Mark, let me tell you how I failed Jesus at this pivotal moment. What was it like for him to look into the face of John, who was likely with G Peter in the courtyard, and remember with him what happened there? What was it like for him to be interviewed by Luke? Luke's the historian. He's the one who does research and investigates carefully everything that people are saying about Jesus and his disciples. What was it like for Luke to sit down with Peter and Peter to answer his questions? So, so Peter, 
after Jesus was arrested, you were there and you just told me that you, you were the one who were, was ready to fight for Jesus. You, you went with your little sword and you cut off the high priest's ear. So Peter, tell me, what happened next? Well, they arrested Jesus, they bound him up, and they went away. And I followed him at a distance. But why? Why would you follow at a distance? You were just ready to fight. Why would you stay so far away? Well, you know, Luke, there, part of it was I was afraid. They had just come at Jesus with swords and clubs and torches and all, like this, this grand army had come to arrest him. I didn't want that to happen to me. I was scared. But there was another part of me that was really confused right now. I had just been ready to fight for Jesus. You know, I had promised Jesus that I would die for him. I was ready to do it. Right then, right there, I had pulled my sword. I was ready to go to war. And Jesus told me to stop. Put your sword away. I was so confused. I was almost in my heart distancing myself from Jesus. I I didn't understand what was going on. I get that, Peter. So what happened next? Well, I followed them right up to the high priest's courtyard, and I didn't have access. I I just didn't have the inns. The bouncer stopped me at the door. But John, um, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, he was there, and he, he got me in. I was really nervous inside the courtyard because now I felt like I was confined within these walls. And then they started a fire in the middle. It was a cold night, so I I went and hid in plain sight, right in the middle of everybody. What happened next, Peter? Well, this servant girl, she started to stare at me. It was really awkward. I I pulled up my hood, and I tried to hide behind it, but she just kept looking in the the light of the firelight, trying to see my face. and, and, And then she started to tell everyone, this man is one of them. And I overheard, I heard her saying it because she wasn't whispering. She was telling everybody in plain hearing. No, I don't know this guy. That's what I said. Why'd you say that, Peter? Part of me was I I didn't want to get in trouble. Part of me was I don't, I'm not even sure I knew him. I didn't get him anymore. I was confused by Jesus. Well, how'd you feel, Peter, when you said that? Well, Luke, time passed, and time passed, and I, and I just was thinking to myself about everything that had happened over the last couple of hours, over the last couple of years with Jesus, and I tried to make sense of it. And then I overheard other people talking to me and about me. This man is one of them. He's not just one who knows Jesus, but he's one of them, that, those people of Jesus. So I had to say something again. No, I'm not one of them. I'm not part of that group. Oh, okay. What happened next? Well, I just was left to my thoughts. I tried to keep to myself. I, I tried to hide and, and kind of keep to myself because I didn't want to go through that again. And, and then somebody else said, this man's a Galilean. He, was, he, he speaks like them. He's, he's got to be with Jesus. Man, I don't know what you're talking about. That's what I said. 
and then the rooster crowed. And Jesus looked at me, and it hit me. I remembered what he said, and all I could do was hang my head in shame and go outside and weep bitterly. We don't talk about this often, but maybe we should talk about it more, that you are part of God's redemptive story. You know that story I was talking about before with, with Peter where, where from the beginning, from the beginning to, the, to all eternity, God has this redemptive story and each one of you gets a chapter in it, a part of it. Your story, your life that you live, this is good news for you, I hope. It should be, I want it to be. God wants it to be. The life that you live, the life that you carry out, everything that you do in your life is, is part of God's redemptive work. He's carrying it out through you to the end, to all eternity, to save and redeem all people through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're part of that story. Which means that within your little chapter, in that grand story, are the stories of your life and the stories of not just your moments of honoring and praising Jesus, but also your moments of sin. What is it like for you now to recall and to retell and to remember the sins of your past, the things that you've done that you shouldn't have done, the things that you should have done but didn't done. That's the, that's the next, if you're, if you're following along, that's the, like the, ne the next failure. What's it like for you to relive and retell the moments of your biggest failures? I, I remember there was this exercise that we did. It was a pastor thing. Um, we were kind of in a, in a little group, and we had to, it was, I didn't actually do the whole exercise. It was just too much for me, but it was probably one of the most painful things, exercises I was ever, ever asked to do. The, the leader asked us to, to write our, our resignation letter. Don't worry, I'm not going to write one to you. This is not what I'm hinting at at all. But he asked us to write a resignation letter and, and said, what would the cause be? What would the thing in your life be that would cause you for the sake of sin and denial of Jesus? What would the cause be that led you to resign? What would that thing in your past be that if people found out about it would destroy ministry, maybe family, job, all the things? That was hard. Because now all the things, you remember what you did. It hits you like a wave of bricks. So, there's, so it comes at you like this. It comes at you first with remembrance. Hits you with a wave of remembrance. You know how that goes where, where, where something happens, somebody says something, and all of a sudden you remember it. That thing that you did. That, that thing you did in the dark when you thought nobody could see. The thing you did on your computer when you thought nobody was looking. That thing you did at the doctor's office that you thought nobody would know about and that wasn't harming anybody but somebody else. <laughs> it's your way out. That, that thing you did in the quiet, that thing you did when nobody was looking, right? But it's not just the things that you did that you remember, it's the things that you didn't do too. 
Martin Luther King Jr. wrote this letter from the Birmingham jail, and the whole premise of the letter, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but the whole premise of the letter was written to Christian pastors who weren't standing up against the wrongs that were done. What about the Christians who were silent in Nazi Germany? What about when you didn't do something or stand up when you should have stood up and said something? It hits you like a wave. You remember it. And it's not just remembrance. I'm not sure what's going on with the screen. It's not just remembrance, but if you're taking notes, it's also waves of shame. Because first of all, you remember, I did that. And then you ask, how could I? How could I do that thing against God? When I did that thing in the doctor's office, when I did that thing at my computer, when I did that thing at the bar, when I did, didn't do that thing in the public place, when I didn't do those things, I denied not only that I loved people, but I denied that I loved God. I don't know him like Peter. And it hits us like a load of bricks. What's wrong with me that I would do such a thing? I, we're Christians, I know better. Right, it hits us like that, square between the eyes, and waves of, and, and if you're like me, which I think most of you are, because we're all cut from the same human cloth, it just kind of keeps coming. They're, it's not consistent. It's here and it's there. People says, say something and it remembers. We watch a commercial and we remember. Um, people may not even be talking about us, but we think they're talking about us because it reminds us of what we did and there's remembrance and shame all over again. And the waves, they just keep on coming. They kept coming for Peter too. They just, they just kept coming for him. What was it like? Here's the next fill-in. What was it like for Peter to recall the look of Jesus? I think about this sometimes. There's two sides to look at this. What was it like for Peter on the one hand? What was it what was what did the look sorry? What did the look of Jesus look like? When when Jesus turned, this is this is a cool part of the gospel part of the story. He turned toward Peter. When, when Jesus looked at Peter, what did he look like? You know, because faces, faces communicate things. Faces say things. Body language say things. We, we don't want them to, but they do. What did Jesus' face look like? Was it Peter? Oh, how could you? Was it more like, I told you so. I warned you just a couple hours ago. Weren't you listening? Was it anger? Peter, you said you don't know me. How could you say that? Is that what his face said? Or was it more like, Peter, I knew this was going to happen and I love you still. Also, the question is, to, to look, answer the question here, how did Peter receive it? Because looks go both ways. We, we not only give looks that mean something, but we receive looks that mean something. Have you ever misinterpreted a look? That's why it's dangerous to read faces. You receive looks. You, you receive somebody's look and you feel some, some kind of way about it, whether positive or negative. How did Peter receive it? 
Well, this is what Luke tells us. He, he saw the faith, Jesus looked at him, and he recalled the things that Jesus said, especially, you will deny three times that you know me, and then the rooster will crow. Peter received it as a reminder. Peter received it, and he was ashamed. He went out and wept bitterly. But I don't think that's all that Peter received. See, Peter noticed something. Maybe it didn't hit him right away, but he noticed something. He noticed that Jesus turned toward him. Don't miss that here. See, if you're ashamed of somebody, if you're ashamed of someone, you look away. If something grosses you out, you don't look at it anymore. But Jesus turned himself toward Peter and looked at him. And Peter remembered the things that Jesus said. He remembered not only how Jesus warned him about the temptation that would come, he warned him how he would deny him, but he also told him, Peter, remember this, Peter, Jesus said to Peter, I've prayed for you, Peter. So Peter knew that this entire moment in, in, in God's redemptive story and in, his little, and in his little chapter of it was prayed over and about by Jesus. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, Simon Peter, Jesus had told him. But Peter was, Jesus was telling Peter with the look, and Peter recalled through the look of Jesus, the prayer of Jesus, and the purpose Jesus gave him. When you have turned back, strengthen the brothers. In, in other words, Jesus was not done with Peter yet. <laughs> Peter, and so in that moment, as Peter lets the waves of remembrance and shame, there were other waves that hit him too, waves of restoration and renewal, waves of purpose and sending. Jesus wasn't done with Peter yet. And also for you, the waves of Jesus, they, they, the waves, they keep coming. The, the remembrance of sin when it comes to our mind, it's one of those things that when it's there, you just can't seem to get past it. You, 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 the, the guilt and the shame that sits on you as, you as you remember that, it's hard to get past. One, one, one writer, he's a theologian, he says, he says that, that no one has more influence on you because no one talks to you more... No one has more influence on you than you because no one talks to you more than you do. And, and what I'm getting at is when, when you, you preach sermons to yourself of remembrance and shame, how could I, what did I do wrong, I'm such a failure, I'm such a whatever, because I've done that, if that's the only sermon we preach to ourselves, that's the only thing we remember. If those are the only waves that hit us, there will only be despair. But you notice Peter didn't despair. He wept, but he didn't despair. He wept bitterly, but he did not give up because he knew there was mercy. And so we also, we sit under the waves. We let the waves keep coming, and there's, a, there's another wave that comes. There's a, there's a wave of restoration and renewal, which is like right here. At the Lord's table, there's a, there's a wave of restoration and renewal coming for you. 
In the body and blood of Jesus, there's, there's restoration and forgiveness. In, in this meal, there's a turning to you by Jesus. There's a turning towards you of Jesus to forgive and restore. There, there's Jesus turning towards you and to say, even though you denied me, I will not deny you. Even though you have been faithless, I will be faithful. I will forgive your sins and remember your wickedness no more, says our Savior Jesus. There's, if you sit there long enough, there's waves of restoration and renewal that will sweep over you because those are the things that Jesus has done. Those are the things that Jesus has promised. And not just waves of restoration and renewal, but waves of resurrection and purpose and sending. Your life, this is the grand redemptive story, your life has purpose. You're part, of, you're part of this grand story of redemption that God continues to work out. And so your, your story, the life that you live, the, the, the sinning, God doesn't want it, but he uses it. He bends it for his purposes and now forgives you and raises you up by this Holy Spirit to live a new life for him. He sends you out into your life as his people. These are the things that Jesus has said. And the look of Jesus helps us to recall the things that he said. I've, I've been working with today the imagery of waves. The imagery of waves hitting us like you're, you're under a waterfall or, under, or at the water's edge and the waves just crash over you. And I've done that for two reasons. One is somewhat practical because that's just kind of what happens. It just hits you right? You, something happens and you remember. Something happens and, you're, and, and memory, it, you, shame comes. Something happens and you remember God's mercy. It's, some of it's practical. That's just the way it happens. But the other reason is theological, because there's life in the water. I'm talking about baptism. There's, there's life. This is the last fill-in. There's life in the water. But first there's death. We, we come to the waters of baptism. And the first thing that happens, first thing that happened is the water killed you. There's a drowning that happens here in the water. There's a drowning of sin and sinfulness. There's a, there's a drowning of the old nature in you, the sinful nature in you. There's a drowning we call the old man sometimes. The sinful nature in us, it's drowned. It is some, we come back to the waters. What does Luther say? By daily contrition and repentance. There's life. First, there's death in the water. Killing the sin, washing it away, killing the old us so that a new person. There's life in the water. Here, in the waters of baptism, there's a robe of righteousness that covers shame. There is nothing about you of what you need to be ashamed. It's all forgiven. It's all covered by the glory of Jesus. You, you will shine by baptism, by, the water of the, by this water. You, you are robed in righteousness and glory from Jesus himself. There's life in the water. There's forgiveness in the water. All your sins are gone. You know the best thing that I didn't finish the exercise. I didn't finish to tell you how it ended. So we're supposed to write this letter of resignation describing the cause for our resignation. At the very end, we were told, and this is the reason we did the exercise, we were told, dear pastor, there's nothing that you have done 
in your past or your present or your future that will destroy your life with Jesus. It may be that because of what you've done, there will be consequences. That may be. On earth, there are consequences. But before God, there are none anymore. Because guilt and shame and sin are gone. There's nothing that can destroy your life with Him. There's life in the water. And the life of this water not only gives us new light, not only raises us from dead and forgives our sins, but gives us power to live a new life. There's sending in the water. This water propels us into a new life with Him, into the purposes that He has set out for us before all time to do the things that He has prepared for us to do, the life that He's given us to walk in. I'm going to come close to end this. People of God, there is life in the water. No more shame. It's, you're covered with glory. There's life in the water. No more guilt. It's forgiven. There is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There's resurrection in the water. Can you just, you're alive like that in Christ. Like a, like a corpse from the ground, you've been raised to new life. There's sending in the water. You're sent we're not quite sending you yet. This would be the end of the service. We're, we're going to send you today. We're sending you today with the water of baptism all over you. People of God, there's life in the water. Amen? Amen. Now the God of peace grant you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Amen.